This is Future Terms from Teach First, a half-termly panel event looking at the biggest issues facing schools in disadvantaged areas. Don't forget to subscribe to listen back to each event. But for now, enjoy the episode. Okay, thank you very much, everybody, for making the time to join this Future Terms panel event by Teach First, um, particularly on a rather grim and wet day, for, I think, for most of us. Uh, a reminder that this event will be recorded to share with people who are not able to make it, uh, in, um, make it tonight. There will be an opportunity for question and answer later on after the speakers have uh, introduced themselves and, and spoken a little. Um, you can do this via the question and answer function on Zoom. Uh, or you can do it via Twitter using the hashtag Future Terms panel. Please remember to use capital letters for accessibility. And um, we're just going to start with a little overview of the research that led to this event, the Thriving Schools report that was published earlier this summer that we carried out, uh, looking at what it was that made schools sustainably successful. So schools working in really challenging areas that were able to have good outcomes for students while also providing a really positive uh, environment for their staff and what we found looking at these schools was that there were three very uh, similar themes coming out that all the schools shared the first was around consistency in approach the second was around implementation so the schools were really looking at uh, implementing policies three to five years ahead they weren't just firefighting day-to-day -day, uh, issues and problems and they were also very outward focused outward facing networking um, and what was interesting around those three themes, although they were common to all the different schools, they did it in very, very different ways. There wasn't one size fits all, there wasn't one way that worked best. And we looked at seven key areas uh, that came out from the research around recruitment and retention, which we know obviously is a key issue, particularly in some areas of the country. We looked at part-time and flexible working, and we looked at professional development, we looked at well-being, we looked at communication and how schools are communicating uh, both internally and externally, teaching and learning and behavior management. So what we've got today is a fantastic panel of people that come to speak to us and share some of their experiences and how that uh, chimes with the research we did. So we've got uh, with us Katie Ashford, who's the deputy head teacher at Michaela Community School. We've got Andy Bygrave, who's an achievement partner here at Teach First and he works with uh, leadership teams on Lead Leading Together program. We have Sarah Hewitt-Clarkson, He's the head teacher at Anderton Park School, which is a primary school in Birmingham. And we have Catherine Morgan, who's currently an expert advisor at the Teacher Development Trust. So they're all going to just talk for a few minutes about um, their experiences and practice before we go into a Q&A. So we're just going to start with Casey. Hi. Um, so thank you very much, Jenny. As uh, Jenny said, I'm the deputy head at Michaela Community School in uh, Northwest London. Um, we're a school that uh, definitely prides ourselves on uh, being very consistent um, in, in lots of different ways. So when I was reading the report, I felt that, you know, that really all of the things it says there, sorry, light in my office has gone off. <laughs> oh, that's very annoying. Um, that the, um, the consistency is really at the heart of everything that we do. So um, when it comes to managing behaviour, for example, we have got very consistent behaviour systems. And um, over the last few years, so I've now worked at the school for, gosh, six and a half years since it opened in 2014. Um, we've learned as the school has grown how to ensure that staff are able to come on board with those new systems and that um, we haven't kind of had um, a sort of 
systems becoming less consistent as we've got new staff coming into the school. So we've worked together really closely as a senior leadership team, but also with our middle leaders and members of staff who've been at the school for a longer amount of time uh, to determine the best ways to ensure that we onboard new staff so that they're able to um, uh, carry out the use the behaviour systems in the same way that um, more established members of staff do. Uh, so consistency is certainly really important at Michaela. Um, other thing as well, other things that I thought were really interesting about the report was the idea of communication. And I think that as a school, that's something that we do quite well. Um, you know, sometimes we get it wrong, but generally in terms of how we communicate internally with staff, how we um, get messages to people so that they, they know exactly what they're doing and that everyone's up to speed and that everyone's kept in the loop on things means that we can change really swiftly um, when things need to be changed, that we're quite nimble as an organisation and we don't have um, to uh, kind of spend months and months and months trying to implement new strategies. We can move quite quickly because we've got a really firm foundation of strong communication between staff. Um, and then I think sort of another side of, of communication is the idea that we also um, have um, a really sort of open culture of feedback and candor, um, which helps to uh, ensure that the environment of the school is really positive for everyone who, who works there. Um, because in lots of organisations, people somebody does something that upsets somebody else and then they don't say say that it's upset them and then a few months down the line the resentment builds and that can damage the relationship and if that happens multiple times across the organization that can damage the whole organization uh, so we instead try to uh, encourage people to feel that they can be candid with each other and to communicate openly with each other about their issues and that's one of the things i would say that has enabled us not only to be consistent but to hold everybody our pupils our staff to really high standards Hello, I'm guessing it's me. I think you were on mute there, Jenny, but uh, um, quite all right. Uh, so thank you uh, tonight, everybody, for joining us tonight. And it's, it's fantastic to be able to talk to so many of you, particularly at this time in the academic year, which would be tiring anyway. But I think after the academic year you've had so far, I think it's absolutely amazing uh, the work that's been going on in schools. And I think for, for me, some of the principles that were highlighted in the report that have just been pointed out uh, by Katie in terms of the, um, I'm just, just lost what I was thinking, um, in terms of consistency, implementation and, and outward facing. I think they are relevant in the past, in the present and into the future. I think schools have been making use of those, some of the ideas that they've got in terms of strategies that they're using in terms of consistency in schools. They've needed them more than ever at the moment um, and, and listening to, Katie describing how they're using them in the schools. I think that that's been key in many of the schools that I'm working with at the moment in making sure that there is that consistency as COVID has hit the schools and the schools have adapted and have actually used in some ways, COVID has been a, a catalyst to, to actually bring in some new ideas and new ways of working uh, that schools might not have approached before. So in terms of implementation, again, the importance of communication and how schools communicate. I think schools have become extremely adept at communicating when one of their bubbles has burst uh, over these last few weeks and months and, and can do that. But also 
it's been important for the, the, the clarity of communication about new ideas and also clarity of communication in terms of communicating with families and, and young people during this time, because there is a lot of anxiety out there, as we all know, uh, in families. And I think in terms of outward facing, the very fact that there are so many of you here today uh, just shows how important it is to keep up this networking and to, and to be outward facing and to listen to new ideas and to share, share new thinking around. Because I, I think schools that are outward facing and networking are, are open to all the new ideas and, and strategies that are available. And I think schools have been coming across new ways of working during COVID. And I think that that is something that we could share with each other over the, and an opportunity like tonight, it's absolutely fantastic. So thank you very much. Thank you, Andy. Sorry, uh, some technical challenges with my unmute button at the moment. Um, fantastic. We can move on to Sarah. Thank you. Thank you. I've got a three minute timer because I'm so bad at sticking to my time. So there you go. Um, yeah, I'm Sarah. So head teacher in Birmingham. And um, one of the things that's really important for us as a school, and I've been here 14 years, so we, we have been consistent with this approach, is that our values are really important. There's no point in having values or mottos or school ethos statements if you don't really hold people to account for them and recruit for them. So our key values here are relationships, determination and the ability to sparkle. And what we mean by sparkle is enthusiasm. We want kids who ask questions, uh, want to know more, want to know what that author is, why did that happen, what's going on here, can we get some more books by this author. And that's also, as I understand, oxytocin. When, when doctors look in your eyes to see if you're healthy, they're looking at the whites of your eyes. And if you've got enough oxytocin in your body, that literally is sparkle in your eyes. So it's healthy people. And we recruit for that. So our very first question, whenever we recruit anybody, is you have to be passionate to work at Anderton Park. So please tell us something you're passionate about, anything. And if you can see that and feel that in someone, then they're, they're, they're gonna be a good person to work here. It doesn't mean all the same personality. Probably one of our most passionate teachers ever we've had here was the quietest, but my goodness, she was passionate about those kids and them making uh, progress. So passion is absolutely vital and we ask questions about it. And then you also have to be passionate about equality, equity, justice. So we ask a question about that in interview. We say, what would you do if a boy said, I'm not using a pink highlighter, pink's for girls, or you heard somebody say, stop running like a girl. And if people struggle to answer those questions, they're not the right people to work in our school. So questions we ask at interview, hopefully, and it seems to have worked, really pulls out that consistency in the people we are putting around our children and sticking to those um, values and talk about talking about them a lot with children, parents, staff, and uh, making sure we're really living and, and rewarding what we, what we say is important to us. So that's how we tackle some of those things. Okay, so thanks very much. Um, great to be with you all tonight. My name's Catherine um, and I work for the Teacher Development Trust. I was really interested reading this report, having been a primary deputy head and also a trust director. Um, so my main passion is teacher development and 
from reading the report, there are some really interesting um, findings that we focus on at the Teach Development Trust. So in particular, using Kraft and Pape's 2014 research into school supportive environments, there are some really common themes here. So in the most supportive environments, teachers want to feel that they're supported by school leaders, that there's a presence across school, and that actually that consistency is seen in day-to-day -day interactions, the language we're using, our approach to behavior management, and the type of culture where teachers can teach and really flourish. They're not having to deal with lots of low-level disruptions. So picking up on what Katie said about her particular school, it's really important that when you come to work as a teacher, you feel like you've got that type of supportive environment where you can really thrive and your students can um, also flourish. Something else that I thought was particularly interesting in the report was around communication. So linked to the Kraft and Pape research, performance management is really integral to the most supportive um, environments where teachers keep getting better and keep improving. Um, but also it's really important that we look at leadership competency. So we're able to work in schools and environments where leaders have high levels of knowledge themselves about teaching and learning, about curriculum, assessment, so that actually we feel that there are high levels of competency which helps to create the type of trusting relationships where you then will talk to each other in with high levels of candor and particularly about things that you might be struggling with in your classroom because I know from being a teacher myself classrooms can be quite isolating so you really want to work in a an environment where you feel that you can talk about misconceptions or any difficulties that you're having and I think that the communication aspect within this particular report is really encouraging to see that actually in the most successful schools in this, these disadvantaged areas, people are able to talk about um, the way that they communicate with one another, both in terms of operational communication, but then also in terms of professional development. So if we look specifically at professional development and well-being, well-being is so much more than flowers in the staff room or yoga after school. Whilst they are really nice things to have, it's actually about really sensible policy and practice and making sure that teachers have the time to be able to conduct all of the things that they have on a day-to-day -day basis. Because as we know, teaching is a really busy um, job and you have to juggle lots and lots of plates. Um, so I think something that's really important to come out of this particular report from Teach First is that actually the common thread throughout all of this is, is really strong leadership. And particularly when we're implementing change within a school environment, we want to make sure that we're not just changing things for the sake of it, that actually similarly to what Sarah said, we're living our values when we're enacting school improvement. We're able to draw upon lots of knowledge of our staff and of each other to really ensure that we get the most supportive environments where teachers and students flourish. Thank you, uh, Catherine, and thank you everybody for being a bit patient with my technical hitches with my mute button. It's always something. Um, do please, uh, those that are watching, do feel free to put questions in the uh, question and answer box that we'll pick up on. I just wanted to pick up actually there on what Catherine was talking about around well-being, because um, as Andy mentioned earlier, this has obviously been uh, a very difficult time, a very stressful time with lots of demands on um, teachers and leaders in schools. And um, I just wanted um, to sort of go first first perhaps to Sarah, just talk about, you know, what, a little bit about what that impact has been like, and also about ways that you've tried to ameliorate the impact on staff. Um, I think one of the first things to say is this whole pandemic has affected schools in very different ways. Some things we're all dealing with in a similar way, but actually the numbers of staff and children who have been poorly or self-isolating have been vastly different. Um, so up until last week, 
Uh, we haven't sent anybody home really. Uh, I have no poorly teachers. I've had one cleaner who was positive, one TA. I mean, just hardly anything. We've spent no money, no extra money on supply because we haven't needed to. Yet I know that is quite unusual. And I know half a mile down the road, um, there have been 28 members of staff out on one day, 32 on another day, uh, only nursery in for a while. And it just completely crazy. So that is really important to recognize that schools are very, very different currently. And who knows why that is, but it, but it is, it is very, very different. So um, one thing that's very interesting from a school leadership point of view is school leaders are very good at looking after and thinking about the well-being of, of, of their staff and their children and their families um, in, in various different ways, however that might be. Um, but often the question is, and who is looking after the school leaders? And their well-being and even though there you could say well that's the governor's job or that's your employer's job uh it is legally but actually if you work in a school as people have been describing earlier where consistency and people are very important and uh kindness is important and understanding um then you are likely to have a team of people who will help look after you and say and how are you um so just practically we we've been very lucky here as i said but and we have to do things actually that go against what we believe so no gathering together in staff rooms yes go in get your stuff and then go out uh don't stand next to somebody and have a chat um those things are kind of contrary to what we all believe make a really healthy um mini society in your schools and and zoom and teams they they do do some of that but they don't do it all um so people have really missed that stuff so to try and replicate that is quite it's quite difficult but having said that, I think if you're if you're in an environment where people are super positive and they're here not for themselves, but for the children, that will just happen. It seems to have just happened here. And um, so fortunate and lucky that, that, that that's the way it is. Um, so your people, your relationships are absolutely crucial to this and holding each other up and helping each other out wherever they can. Thank you. So Andy, I think. It might be useful to come to you then because you've been working with um, groups of leadership teams from, from some of the schools on the Leading Together programme and perhaps you can share your perspective from that side about how, how that's working. Yeah, I mean, one of the great things about being involved in the Leading Together programme is, is the opportunity to work with several schools and I work with a number of achievement partners who are also supporting schools across the country. And, and one of the things that we've all spoken about at times is that one of the things that we've been able to bring into our conversations is that ability to press a pause button and uh, get the leaders to just stop because they are so focused on the day to day. You could almost describe it as the you know, panicking and, and, and tunnel vision and they've got no way of so, and, and, and stopping and sort of thinking strategically and lifting their head up and looking into the future. Next term will happen uh, and next year will happen. And, Ofsted have, have acknowledged that in the work that they've done in, in coming into schools, the challenges of school improvement whilst dealing with COVID. So, list, you know, some of the things that Sarah was just saying there about having a, that sort of supportive culture and giving leaders, I'm, a, I'm able, along with colleagues, to give leaders that opportunity to stop and to just think and sometimes just give them the benefit of time to, to unload with some of the situations that they're taking, you know, rather than taking them home, um, which has been, you know, I felt that that's been valued in many ways uh, by colleagues in schools. 
but obviously, as Sarah described and, and other colleagues on the panel working in schools, being able to offer colleagues that time and being able to listen to them and having that supportive culture really does in some ways test the true values of the school uh, and seeing them in practice. When, when things are tough, that's when you see whether the values and whether the people you've appointed are the right people with the, the same values as the school. And it really does come through in that way. But it's been great listening to colleagues talking about how they support the, the person in the next room because you're all in bubbles and sometimes you don't even get to see people during the day. And it's, I think, listening to how schools have, have found ways of overcoming that has been absolutely impressive as far as I'm concerned. Thank you. We've, we've got a question here, actually, which is, is related to what we've been talking about. Um, reports about how schools are struggling on a, on a daily basis, so, you know, sometimes with not having enough staff. Um, but there's also that sort of underlying concern around what we call catch up, what we call it, about students falling behind or not being able to access learning for lots of reasons. And um, this question asking about, as a leader, how you ensure that the ethos and those long-term improvement priorities are not overlooked, and particularly asking for any examples that you could share. So I'm going to put Katie on the spot a little bit here and see if there's anything she can share. Yeah, so um, I agree with everything that's been said about having the right culture in place to start with. Um, if you have the right culture and that your staff work together as a team and everybody just rolls their sleeves up and gets involved when that needs to happen, um, then then actually, you know, when a crisis hits, you're able to kind of function and you're able to keep going. Um, so in terms of not kind of overlooking our long term priorities, I think that that for us, we, you know, we are very constantly thinking about um, the future just because we were a brand new school that opened in 2014. So we've always had to think about the next year and the next year and the next year. So that's part of our culture. It's already embedded in who we are. Um, but I would say that the key thing with obviously the COVID issues and, you know, we've had bubbles that have had to go home, we've had staff that have had to self-isolate, all of those issues um, is that, so we're, a, all of the staff have really come together in the most impressive way and have been able to plug in those gaps um, with cover and with supporting and online learning and all of those things, um, which has meant that, and the, the, the school is still running, you know, things are still just running. It's a machine that is kind of just going and going and going. And so it's not like every morning we kind of think, oh goodness, another class has gone, more chaos. Um, so actually that frees us up that we've got really strong systems in place to cope with the challenges of the pandemic so that we can still focus on the future. So at the moment, we've got our first, first cohort of year 13s who are currently applying to university. And so we're able to spend time thinking about how to support those pupils um, in the next stages of their academic development. Um, so I think it's just, making sure you've got the systems in place to begin with. Secondly, um, uh, I suppose not allowing it to consume every single conversation. You know, we, we have times when, okay, we do need to talk about this issue because we've got a class where somebody's tested positive, we've got to send them home. But now it just sort of clicks into action and we just go, we know exactly what needs to happen. Um, but um, we don't spend any longer than we need to talking about it all the other systems are in place and then we can just carry on focusing on the other priorities that you know or the millions of priorities that you have in a school on a daily basis so i wouldn't say that this is necessarily i mean obviously it's been a challenge and it has made the day-to-day -day running of the school more complex than it would be normally but it isn't something that would necessarily prevent us from being able to think about future priorities thank you yeah um to, to build on that perhaps a little bit got a question um around 
somebody that wants to know what the, what the, what you consider to be the single biggest issue for schools in the current climate and that prevents schools from thriving but actually I'd, I'd like to sort of expand that a little bit and think but not just about the issue that's facing us now but also you know what are the issues that are facing us long term that are going to be uh, that are the biggest barriers for schools to overcome in order to thrive um so perhaps um Sarah, I'll come to you first, if that's all right. Yeah, sure. I mean, I'm very fortunate. I'm on the national executive of my union as well, NAHT. So I, I get to talk to a lot of heads and school leaders regularly about this. And um, there are some things which will affect schools depending on where they are, for example, in the Ofsted cycle. But the thing that will affect everybody is funding. So money was very tight in most schools uh, before this. This year, for example, um, we... I made 22 people redundant because of, you know, various funding issues and uh, falling birth rate in this area in Birmingham, for example. Um, so massive, massive issues, even before we'd even heard of COVID. Um, and then with, uh, and this is schools, not, not just mine, but uh, money, a whole, many schools have spent their whole year's supply budget within eight weeks. Uh, the equipment that people have had to buy, the, um, the things they've had to have installed, all the hand sanitising stations, uh, different systems around schools. So actual money that's had to be spent and ongoing issues, particularly with supply and with people who are poorly. And I know from a union point of view, you know, they are very concerned that we will have a lot of bankrupt schools. Now that is a massive issue for school leaders. So that cuts across everything. Um, then I think Ofsted, depending on where you are in your cycle, we are due an Ofsted in December uh, next year. Uh, but if you're not due one for four or five years, Ofsted isn't going to be a massive issue for you. Statutory testing is a huge issue, uh, which is we've had some answers to today. Uh, and statutory testing, nobody wants, of course, we all want children to be, to have robust assessments and to know where they are and the progress they've made. The issue that a lot of us have, particularly this year, is the high stakes accountability, the league tables, the kind of naming and shaming, because we are all so different this year. Uh, and we've had, again, some answers on that today. So I think the funding is absolutely going to hit every school. And I'm not sure. I mean, the government, our government are spending because they have to, almost like a bottomless pit. Yet we can't do that. And we just don't know what the answers will be if schools who are already, you know, facing difficulties just literally run out of money and have a massive deficit budget. We don't know what, what we're going to do. Um, and then, as I said, the other things, Ofsted, testing, uh, GCSEs, A-levels, accountability, high stakes accountability, um, and, and possibly recruitment and retention. A recent survey said that 47% of school leaders were considering leaving much earlier than they thought they would have done. That's very significant. Thanks. Yeah, and actually, on, on that particular note, I think I'll like, you know, see what Catherine uh, can add to that in terms of that recruitment and retention challenge. Well, I think Sarah's just done a really good job of outlining all of the challenges that the sector face at the moment. We're in hugely uh, difficult circumstances. It's incredibly complex. And yet, I still have loads of hope, which, you know, I think all of us on this call this evening do have. Um, I think. 
Just picking up on Sarah's points around budget, one of the biggest issues for me then is that professional development is often the area that gets most squeezed and we need to be able to really develop and invest in our teaching teams from um, you know, early career teachers all the way up to our really most experienced teachers. I think it's an absolute travesty that we've had so many colleagues leave the profession in the last sort of five or 10 years with heaps of experience because of high stakes accountability. And it's really important that we get that balance right between having the most robust and highest of expectations for school improvement, but not at the expense then of losing our teaching teams. And so in terms of recruitment and retention, that becomes a huge challenge because we want to be able to entice people into a profession that is absolutely imperative to society and ensuring that we have a much fairer society. But yet at the same time, you know, we're all very aware of workload pressures, long hours, etc. And so I think it's really important for schools to be uh, looking at the way in which they can mitigate against some of the national stresses and strains, as Sarah's mentioned, around testing, about high stakes accountability and start to really focus on the things that they know make the biggest difference to student outcomes and the greatest difference to job satisfaction for our teachers. So the NFER report last year published in, in collaboration with the Teacher Development Trust spoke about the fact that teachers are, are amongst the one of the um, they, they feel the least, auto least autonomy in comparison to other professions. And it's not actually that people want to necessarily have input into policy and practice, but if, if they were able to have more input into their professional development goals, so sort of moving away from whole school professional development and starting to get a balance between aligning to individual needs, collective needs, perhaps departments and teaching teams, and then obviously still hitting whole school need because that's never gonna go away. Um, but I think it's really Really interesting the way in which we grow the ECF framework for example and use that as a, a real um, a, a vehicle to promote people coming into the profession whilst then balancing all of the uh, external factors that we know can sometimes take time away from leaders and I know you're going to push me on time but I just also really want to say that we haven't invested enough in school leaders so actually I'm a chair of governors listening to Sarah talk then I put in a weekly catch-up with my head teacher just for her to have space to offload so actually we're not even talking about school improvement as such but because I'm so mindful of her well-being and she needs to have somebody that she can talk to outside of the um, usual trust that we're in I just think it's really important we need to invest in our school leaders because they're integral to everything else that's Thanks, the question that's the short answer absolutely um, i'm actually going to pick up on some of the things you said and, and go back to something that katie said uh, in the introduction around middle leaders and particularly as a lot of the research suggests that middle leaders are the sort of left out members of staff who often don't get professional development that is specifically related to leadership um, and i just wanted to see if, if katie could offer something that she pushed, you mentioned that you do include them yeah i mean i would say that uh the middle leaders are perhaps the most important people in the school. Um, obviously, the senior leaders are very important. Uh, I am a senior leader, so I hope my job is useful. Um, but I think that, you know, your heads of year and your heads of department are essentially the people that are in the trenches on the ground running things on a day to day basis. And so the I think the, what we do here is we have a very, very clear sense of um, the uh, the role of each middle leader and um, they have they're all line managed by somebody on the senior team and there are there is a lot of support there to get them to uh, be able to do their job as well as they can we don't tend to have the kinds so for example I know that people have talked about um, uh, performance management 
our performance management isn't linked to pay, for example, which I, I don't know why anyone would do that. I think it's really destructive. I think it means that people work for the wrong reasons and it destroys all the things that make collaboration and creativity uh, so wonderful in schools. So we don't do that here. And I think that instead, it's not so much about kind of uh, people at the top kind of pointing their finger at the people in the middle, which is, I think, what can happen um, if you're not careful, if you have the wrong culture. Um, it's more about sitting down with your head of department or your head of year and saying, right, what are the issues currently in your department or in your year group? And what can we do uh, to support you to help uh, alleviate that, that issue? So um, it could be anything as simple as, well, I've got this really tricky parent that I've been having a conversation with and they're, 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 they're worried about this and I don't know what to do about it. And so we will support the head of year to be able to deal with that issue. Um, we don't do any kind of... Um, you know all of our training is in-house we don't tend to kind of believe in things like sending people off to do training uh, programs because i think that the nature of our school is is that we have such a specific set of values that we want our staff to really understand those values in particular um, and to have it to be things to be very concrete so it's not sort of abstract thinking about leadership in the abstract but thinking about how you actually implement things in the moment um, and with the specific people and with the specific policies that you have in, in place in the school. So I would say, you know, it's a very organic process in terms of how we recruit, train and uh, manage and support our middle leaders, but they are perhaps the most important people in the school. Um, and we see our role, uh, those of us who are above the middle leaders, as supporting them rather than kind of a top down, like pointing our finger and making them do things that might not actually help them to achieve their goals as whatever their position is. Thank you, Katie. I just wanted to draw on that a little bit. I mean, both, both Katie and Sarah, you've talked essentially about what, how, you, how you create a culture around your school, and you talked very much about the leadership sharing values. Um, and in fact, Katie, I know Michaela's obviously written a book about the power of culture, and Sarah, you're talking about sparkle and how, you, that, how important that is in the recruitment um, and I know that uh, in our Leading Together programme one of the things we try to look at is how do you build that culture so I think I'm going to hand over to Andy a bit and maybe talk a little bit about that process and how we how we work with schools. I think one of the things that we do as, as uh, achievement partners is working with the schools and it's been something that's that's been a challenge this year for me is because we would usually have gone into schools to to see how the school operates and that, that's usually using your eyes is how you get to 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 to, to understand what's going on in the schools and probably sometimes have probably jumped to conclusions, uh, maybe the wrong conclusions about what I've seen. Um, and I think this way of working has actually thrown up some ways of actually understanding the culture in the school in a different way and to probably rely more on my hearing of things, which is a bit of a, bit of a challenge as a former head teacher to actually listen. But in terms of sort of listening to what the school is doing, listening to how the school is operating and listening to how the leadership team is working, the senior leadership team and the middle leadership team. I know colleagues and I, we are working not just with the senior leadership team, but developing the, the middle leaders. And one of the questions that has, has cropped up uh, quite often is about how that middle leadership team, which have got a vital part to play in the school um, in terms of driving uh, the knowledge rich curriculum that, that's needed and, and developing that and, and constantly making that grow but how can that be quality assured with the senior leaders? So we've, we've talked at length about how senior leaders can ask questions of middle leaders to sort of find out about the curriculum mapping to see how the intent of that curriculum is coming in terms of its implementation 
and is it is it having an impact and and what's been really quite helpful is listening to the ways in which schools have been able to find ways of doing that without being able to break break into different bubbles and and so on and that's been quite interesting listening to the techniques that schools have been using for it for example uh, taking photographs of the of the students work at the end of the lesson uh, has been a way of being able to sort of monitor the teaching and learning and there are lots of different ways out there that, that schools are using uh, that to it to do that because I think giving feedback as somebody was saying earlier on that the middle leaders are that are that, org, that that part of the organization who are on the front line who are feeding back to the senior leaders about what is going on and how the school is operating and I think building trust between those two groups as well is, is really important but being able as a senior leader to ask the right questions about what is going on in the classroom is, is really important and we're supporting leadership teams to do that and supporting middle leaders in their ability to answer those questions and to ask those questions of their own team um, so that's that's really how building the leadership team and, and part of leading together is about building that leadership team's capability and capacity and it's its leadership team in its widest sense as well, in, including the teachers. Thank you. Um, I can pick up again on a, they're all related topics, I don't know why I say that. Um, in the research report, one of the things we looked at closely was recruitment and retention because it, it can be such a challenging area. Um, although we know recruitment numbers are up at the moment, which is, is normal in, a, in a, an economic recession, that's not necessarily going to last. So we want to maybe perhaps go to uh, Sarah and Katie, um, think a little bit about how, how do you go about recruiting, what are the most important things, but also what are the challenges that still remain that we might need to look at as a, as a wider sort of uh, education sector? So perhaps Katie, would you like to start? Yeah, sure. I mean, we, yeah, recruitment has always been difficult, particularly in some subjects. Um, you know, the shortage subjects, which again is mentioned in the report, I think lots of schools have that challenge. Um, but I think, it's also it kind of reminds me of, of things that Sarah was saying at the beginning about how it's not just about recruiting people who can teach the subject. It's also about teaching about recruiting people who can um, who can join your organization and share your values and 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 work in the same way as you want everyone to work collaboratively together. And that that can be difficult. Um, so I think that um, in terms of the things that we've done to try and improve recruitment and retention over the years um, is putting ourselves out there I and mean, we, we have a presence on social media um, and generally in the media as well now um, and I think that what that's done it has raised our sort of um, the, the awareness that we exist I mean that's something I think schools need to do um, is just kind of sh show the world what it is that they are about and what makes them unique and what their USP is and then people learn about you and then want to come to work in that kind of environment so that's been something that's been helpful for us um, but in terms of retention, I think that, again, it's about culture. I mean, everything does come back to culture, which is why, thank you, Jenny, for mentioning our book. We called it The Power of Culture, because um, if you have a culture where um, behaviour is really bad and staff don't feel that they can be supported, um, you know, for example, if a teacher sends a pupil out of the room and then the deputy goes and takes the kid and puts the kid back in the classroom, that that's that's not a particularly supportive culture and the teacher's going to feel undermined. And so we really take that very, very seriously to make sure that teachers always feel that they are leaders in their own classroom and that they're not being undermined by people who are more superior than them um, in terms of the school hierarchy. 
Um, and but then also in terms of workloads, so we cut out a lot of nonsense. We do work hard at, at Michaela for sure. You know, people do get here at seven o'clock in the morning and they are working till six o'clock at night. But the fact is that um, you don't have to uh, enter tons of data. You don't have to mark loads of exercise books. You don't have to do lots of those silly bureaucratic tasks, which can make your day feel very, very miserable if you've got lots of them to do in one go. Um, in terms of accountability, you know, I talked earlier about middle leaders and how we see our role as the person who's higher is to support the people that are in the um, uh, the that they line manage. Um, so it's not a culture where there's sort of harshness um, of accountability. That's not to say there is no accountability. Of course, you do want to support your teachers to get better and you do want to support your middle leaders to get better. But we don't do that by asking people to fill in spreadsheets or to, um, you know, do book scrutinies and things like that, because those things don't tend to reveal the truth in the first place. And they just add extra stress to a, a teacher's daily working life. So um, I would say it's all about trying to create a culture where people feel happy and where they feel that they can have an impact. You know, everybody who goes into teaching, I've never met a teacher who doesn't want to change kids' lives. Everybody I know who goes into teaching, they do it because they love kids, they love their subject, and they want to change the, these kids' stars. And you can't do that if you're buried under paperwork. So we want to make the systems, put the systems in place in the school, whether that's behavior systems or um, pedagogy te teaching systems, so that you can really focus on teaching the kids, conveying your love of your subject and uh, having great relationships with them. And I think if you do those things, then you're more likely to retain your staff in the long run, but also it becomes something that people hear about, you know, word of mouth, and then you end up attracting more people to the school in the first place. I do recognise we're right next to a tube station in London. So if we struggle to recruit, then I imagine that people who are in the middle of nowhere and like the Outer Hebrides are going to struggle. So it is a challenge for all of us. But I think putting yourselves out there and, and being honest about what you're about and um, and yeah, just sharing those those ideas with the world, I think, uh, can help people to understand what you're about. Thanks, Katie. And actually, one of the things I think you're highlighting there is what the research also showed about the importance of being outward facing that you know you you have a very strong presence at Michaela in in social media and things which um sort of just make perhaps raise awareness of, of the sort of school you are as well and attract people to it but Sarah would you like to yeah I mean I think it's very different in secondaries um because of all the subject specific stuff you need that is really difficult um primary school's slightly different my primary school nobody ever wants to leave and I know that sounds like I'm bigging myself up but I'm not so we don't have a, an issue and when somebody retires or, or whatever happens or goes on to promotion maybe um we have lovely teach first and um it's been it's we've we're this is about our eighth or ninth year with teach first and it, and I'm not saying this because of the event I'm saying this because it's absolutely true I've been to the assessment center in London I've sat through a day with some of um teach first teachers and my god it's tough and so i absolutely trust the teach first um process 100 and um at one point i think we had about 11 teach first teachers here it was absolutely brilliant and that makes a difference that makes an absolute difference because teach first values are completely aligned with ours and i just see a teach first teacher as a gift of somebody who will just get it and not moan 
and um and they do and so that is a massive massive plus point about um getting the right people in front of the children um i think it's this real senior deputy and, head, and headship that as i said before is going to be a real issue um because um of what what was already happening budgets cuts uh, accountability all things we've said before but add in covid and um closing schools or classes and being responsible for all of that as well is really tough so i'm not sure what the answer is to that um i'm really not sure and the next year i think will be very very important in working out you know with the department for education with uh, politicians with local authorities with trusts um, what are we going to do when schools have run out of money? Because many of them have already. And, and those are things that stop people wanting to be heads, uh, money, money issues. Like, what do you do if you've got half a million pound deficit? I mean, what do you actually do? Um, how do you ever get that back? So um, we really need some thought on that because um, our middle leaders, as we've said, are so crucial at keeping the teaching and learning and all those amazing things going. Uh, but actually, if you're running out of money at the other end, that's something you can't you can't get away from that. So I, I think we need a massive national effort on working out what we're going to do about that to, to help people go into into senior leadership roles. Thank you. Yeah, um, we've got a question here that I want to to share that uh, relates to one of the themes that we've discussed in the report, which is around part time and flexible working. Um, and I think this is an area where education has been somewhat behind the curve compared to other other industries. Um, and we know, I, I know certain uh, corporations that even just by adding the words flexible working available or part-time working available has massively increased applications, particularly from women. And when we're looking at retention levels, we know there is a risk factor about women who, who need to have families um, and that progression to more, more senior roles. So we've, I've got a, a question here from somebody who's a single parent looking to start teacher training as a career change, but also aware of the logistic challenges of, of balancing family commitments with that sort of with, with a teacher training job um, and looking at you know where the where the coming from a sector sorry where part-time working and job sharing is more is more the norm so I wonder if we could just reflect a little bit about you know what are the things that we can do within teaching and within schools to help promote or make possible flexible more flexible approaches part-time working um, that might encourage recruitment so if somebody would like to jump in on that I can, I mean, as a, you know, a head teacher who has to, you know, do ask these kind of questions and, and deal with this, it's a really difficult one. I can't, I'm not going to go, oh yes, it's amazing. It's difficult. And I think it's more difficult in primary. Somebody else could tell me I'm completely wrong, but um, I think it is more difficult in primary. But having said that, that could be a, a mindset, a bit of, you know, unconscious bias kicking in there that you think, oh no, a primary school child should have one teacher all week. Uh, and you know we know i've got a couple of i've got a couple of job shares um that work very well um the the, the problems are tend to be just logistical and administrative problems so if you've got four teachers in two classes that's four lots of performance management four lots of um uh attendance tracking and you know all that kind of stuff it's just it's it's more people to to do those things but that that shouldn't detract from the fact that actually it could be great for the kids and, and can often be absolutely brilliant having two different teachers two different personalities um 
uh, but if you've got all the culture that we've been talking about correctly, it doesn't matter how vastly different they are, the children will get a very consistent uh, five days and they won't get a three days of this and a two days of this. Um, so it definitely can be done, but I think people like me, I'm 50, so um, I have to try, I have to really get myself out of those old fashioned mindsets that, you know, uh, surely one teacher is better for that child um, in primary because actually, it isn't and I you know and I'm a massive massive advocate for this as you were saying about women this nearly always affects women uh more so I have never ever been asked by a male teacher to go part-time after a birth of a child not once but I think I'm asked probably 95% of the time when a female has a child and they ask to go part-time so why you know why is that I mean I'm not going to solve that question now but you know, there's still quite a lot of um, slightly sexist attitudes towards who should do childcare or who's best at it or, um, you know, those kind of issues. So I, I am very aware that, that women nearly always get the, just sort it out, sort out your working life, sort out your hours. Uh, you can't do part time, find, you know, full time. You know, it's always left to the woman, not always, mainly left to the woman to sort that out. Uh, and therefore, we should, as a, as a woman, particularly with two daughters, we should be really think about that very carefully because we want these brilliant people in the classroom. And if they can do two days a week or slightly different hours, then we should really look at that. Thank you, Sarah. Catherine, I think you wanted to come in as well. Yeah. So interestingly, um, Emma Turner um, has recently written a book called Let's Talk About Flex and I was fortunate to be involved in her book launch a couple of weeks ago and um, Sam Strickland and Johnny Utley were both at the book launch and spoke about the fact that it takes a whole culture shift to really do flex well which I think is what Sarah's essentially touching upon there. So within Emma's book she makes some really valid points around the fact that sometimes we underlook or we don't focus enough on the positives of flexible working so actually you can have um, really lots of different expertise in terms of subject knowledge that it gives children opportunity to develop relationships and you know there can be personality clashes can't there and sometimes if you know you're going to have a different teacher as well there's all sorts of benefits from a social and emotional perspective but interestingly Nimish Ladd was also um, at the book launch and he gave insight from a um, secondary perspective and said more often than not some of the barriers are around timetabling and how you ensure that timetables are still able to be uh, put in place successfully and all the different um, things are covered and also trying to uh, manage people's flexible working and that sometimes professional development for flexible workers can also be a real challenge so I think it's relatively new for our sector and you're right to say Jenny that we've got lots of things that we can learn from um, other sectors particularly the world of business and I think just to pick up on Sarah's point there flexible working isn't just for females it's absolutely for, for males also and Johnny spoke that at Teal Trust they put on every single advert this job can be flexible so it's not speak to us about flexible working it's actually this job can be flexible from the word go because something that came out of the book launch is that often if a job advert doesn't mention flexible working people won't ask and they might not even be interested in that job then and so we need to get people's feet in the door you know actually having that conversation about their needs at home and making sure that it's also available for males as much as it is for females um, because I think we're in a time where perhaps the younger generations um, are more willing to have quite a patchwork career so Emma talks about this that we aren't necessarily going to be doing the same job five days 
a week and I'm currently not. I'm working three days at the TDT. I'm currently on a secondment for the, at the Church of England as well. Um, so it could just be that we move into another era where people have a really patchwork approach to careers. And I don't have any of the answers at this point. But again, I think, you know, there's lots of scope for some exciting things to be done here. Thank you, Catherine. Absolutely. Andy, do you want to just jump in very quickly? I'm just conscious of time is also running short. So. Yes, I think in terms of secondaries and, and having been a head teacher of a secondary, I think as everybody's summarised, you can overcome some of the logistical problems with, your, with the, with the timetabling. And if the requests for flexible working come at the right time, it's so much easier to schedule it in. But I often used to think, take the principle that I want the best people in my school to work with these children. And if that means I'd rather have half of the best person than lose the whole person. So it was always about trying to hold on to the best people and to recruit the best people. Uh, that can forge those relationships with the young people and get and get the best out of them, and, and that's and, it, and so it's so important that we that schools attract. And I think if they've got the right culture and communication is strong in the school, then teachers can pass information to each other, and so that those children do get a, a possibly in some ways a much richer education as a result of having more faces in front of them over the week. Thank you. Okay, we we are running short of time. I just want to finish off with a very quick round uh, the group uh, with a little question to focus on the positives. We know it's been an extremely challenging time for schools and teachers and, and everybody else at the moment during uh, lockdowns and now, now tier systems. Um, so I just wondered if there was one thing that you could keep from this period, what would it be? So perhaps we go Katie first. Um, I, don't, I haven't really enjoyed much about this, um, but I would say other than perhaps the ability to ask people to mute themselves, which is quite helpful, um, I would suggest um, just the, the, the camaraderie and the working together. Um, it's been really wonderful to see how much people have pulled together in hard times. So I'd like to keep that. Thank you. Um, Catherine? Yeah, I mean, I think the reference to mute is probably the most common word of the whole of the year isn't it either you're on mute or I love that can you mute yourself I might try using that myself um I think yeah I'm gonna have to say some of the online CPD that's been available but with a massive health warning here that more doesn't necessarily mean higher quality so I think we're really blessed to have lots more opportunities for online CPD but we still need to be as rigorous in the way that we um access it and the follow-up and follow-through afterwards but I think we've been really fortunate fortunate to have so much available. Um, Sarah? Um, I would keep, uh, I think, a massive shift in attitude that a lot of parents had in the first lot of lockdown when they were uh, teaching or helping teach, teach their children at school. There was this massive shift in how people viewed teachers and school staff uh, that they said my god you know you have 30 or 60 or 600 kids we've only got two and we can't teach them to do long division so i don't know how you do it with all those kids and um and i think uh, let's keep that because that is a brilliant matching of uh, of you know um understanding of how of how difficult and what a skilled job teaching is so i'll keep that fantastic uh, Andy? Yes, uh, uh, for me, one of the things that I've learned from the schools I'm working with is that a number of them have, have really embraced uh, things like staggered starts to the day and some of the un unintended consequences, positive consequences of, of some of these things that they've brought in in terms of 
bringing the children into school in phases during the day, which has actually started to reduce some behaviour incidents, which have, which have then meant that you haven't had the flashpoints that have led to exclusions. And it's something that many of them wouldn't have, wouldn't have thought about using in order to um, bring about a change in the school. So it's been, I think there are some, you know, as we've, as we've all said across the panel, that there are some changes that COVID has brought that I think we would keep. And I think that's just one of the many that I've come across in schools that I'm working with. Thank you, Andy. Well, we, we are drawing to a close now, um, and the, the, the light has definitely, definitely gone outside. Um, I would just like to say a massive thank you to the panellists who've joined us today for giving up their time, um, particularly Katie and Sarah, and obviously, you know, in school, and all those additional challenges that we've heard about at the moment. Um, but also thank you to Catherine and Andy for giving us that insight from perhaps the other side of support, trying to support schools and school leaders at this time. Um, as stated, today's uh, event will be available to watch back later on, and you can share it with colleagues, and the link will be sent out to everyone who signed up. Um, there are, we, we've run a lot of panels uh, over the summer and, and recently, so if you'd like to catch up on any of those, please do go to the website and have a look for them. And there is an, the next panel is taking place on the 28th of January uh, on integrated services and what belongs within the school gate, so do please sign up for that. Um, but for today, um, thank you to everybody again, and thank you to everybody that attended and asked questions, and I hope you found it a really useful experience. Thanks for listening to Future Terms from Teach First. We'll be back soon with another event. To find out more and to attend, visit teachfirst.org.uk forward slash future terms.